When you're reading a job description, do you ever wish you could hear directly from the person that wrote it, answering all your questions about what the day-to-day work is like, who are the people you'll be working with, learning about the culture and tips for building your career at that company? I'm your host, Dan DeGraw, and I'm excited to bring you Working at Wells Fargo, a new podcast from our hiring team. In each episode, we'll bring together different hiring leaders and team members at Wells Fargo to learn all about their career stories and get insights on how we're looking for the best talent from around the world. We'll unlock their individual stories, where they came from, how they built their career, and what lessons they learned along the way. Then we'll learn directly from them about the career opportunities at Wells Fargo and why you should consider joining us. For recruiting leaders, there's nothing we love more than developing a team member through one of our many internship programs. On this episode, I sat down with Parth Patel. Here he spoke about his journey from a finance undergrad student at the University of Illinois to joining one of our intern programs. Fast forward almost 10 years in his career at Wells Fargo, Parth is able to provide great insight for current students in preparing for and evaluating internship opportunities where they will be the best fit. Winter of 2008, so about January, February, we're getting ready for our career fair and obviously the market and you know the t- economic time started slowly started to fizzle out a little bit. So job prospects obviously were a big concern of many people. And at that time, you know, Wells was still Wells Fargo of San Francisco. It was not a big presence in Chicago. You know, we had no retail presence here. We had some home mortgage offices and so forth. But to be honest, I didn't really know much about them. And so when I went to career fair, I went to the traditional banks of Chicago, JP Morgan, Bank of America, Citi, BMO Harris has a very large presence. So those are the places I went to go talk to at career fair. And I will actually admit, I left career fair without even seeing Wells. And I said, you know what? Like, I should go right back. So I turned around, like, never hurts to go talk to them. And lo and behold, that's the one I actually was drawn to quickly and just, again, didn't know much about them. This is pre-Wachovia merger. And so that's where, you know, I think Wells really changed the, na- the, the landscape of their, of their brand um, after that acquisition. So I was actually fortunate enough where I was able to work for Wells Fargo pre-Wachovia. So that was summer of 08. I was a part of the internship program. And you know, in corporate banking at that time, you hear all these banks doing poorly and Wells like, no, we're open for business. In that office I was a part of in Chicago, those tremendous growth because that name wasn't out there. You know, Wells wasn't a big name on a retail bank side, but it was very well known on the, on the large scale corporate banking side. And so it just was a great timing for me. And then after I finished my internship, they offered me a position to start full time the following summer. And so that would be after I graduated. And of course, from my understanding, the biggest thing I wanted to worry, I look at when I was trying to start off my career was the group dynamic. Uh, you know, you, there's various groups amongst every bank, and some groups are very different in style. Some are very more, let's say, sink or swim, and some are much more of a team-based approach. And so I was very much looking for a team-based approach where I can spend the time I need to learn and get to know the role before I try to build on that foundation. And so kind of went through that process, and that's how I ended up at Wells, was just that internship really gets, got me to know what the day in and day out was like. It wasn't like a scout work type of role. It was doing exactly what a full-time analyst would have been doing. And I was paired up with a full-time analyst to kind of you know, shadow her on her day-to-day deals, whatever name she's working on, tried to do my best to help take some of the workload off of her so she can work on the bigger deals. And that gave me a full insight of, let's say when I came back full-time, there was no surprises. However, yes, at that time, I went back for my senior year and Wachovia was now part of Wells and the model changed and 
you know, I was worried about getting that phone call that one day saying, you know, your position's no longer available given they have people from Wachovia that can, are experienced tires, but uh, uh, it didn't come. So I showed up the first day and I was, you know, happy to be there. Was it a huge uh, relief or a level of comfort knowing as a rising senior, you already had permanent work set up once you graduated? You know, it was a huge weight off my shoulders. I think the bit, you know, I, I was also interviewing with BMO Harris at the time. And so I was provided with, I was actually very fortunate to get have two to have multiple offers from from multiple banks that I was actually very interested in, and you know obviously that hasn't dawned on me that I was a very lucky person at the time. You know, with the market turmoil happening, the economic recession that was starting to kind of pick up really, and when when those big days of the Lehman Brothers collapse and Bear Stearns starting to you know that was September of two thousand eight, and at that time I was already back at school with a position already signed up and contract signed, and so. I was very fortunate that that's not a common situation or position people can be in. Uh, and I think, again, a lot of that was timing and just simple, you know, what would have happened if I never went back to the Wells Fargo booth and what would have happened then? And so obviously the things happen a certain way, but it definitely was a good weight off my shoulders. There was still that concern given the market was so, and things were going a little hectic that that phone call might come one day during my senior year that the position's just not going to be there anymore. But at that point, I was kind of enjoying my senior year as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's nice. It's just one less thing, right? Right. Um, and, and you're right. If, if I think back to that, I mean, yeah, I could write a book on 2008, 2009 in the banking industry. It was a fascinating time. And not only was the market challenging, which is a kind word for it, but yeah, we had one of the largest um, mergers or one of the largest acquisitions in U.S. history going on at the same time. And Wells was essentially doubling, doubling their footprint, going from a West Coast bank or a regional West Coast bank to a, a worldwide organization, which is crazy. And you were coming on right during this evolution. It had to be a very exciting time. It, it was interesting because you're hearing every day, you know, when, when you're a finance major, they kind of throw you in the in class, try to get you ingrained with the world, right? Make you try to make sure you read the Wall Street Journal or following up on Yahoo Finance or whatever news publications that people want to follow and read to stay up to date. And then... Luckily, at that point, you know, you're taking more elective business level classes that seem to interest you more. And one of them I took was related to kind of just overall investments. And the class was more based off investment strategy and so much like trying to fight the right mix of portfolio allocation and so forth. But then we kind of talked to the teacher, can you start talking about like current events and how that affects these things? And that was kind of the interesting part of getting the actual uh, faculty's advice. And a lot of them are, you know, esteemed people that have worked in the industries and so forth. And so, you know, it definitely was an interesting time, but I also want to be mindful that a lot of people were struggling at that time and a lot of bad things that happened to, you know, unfortunate people that were just caught in the crosshair of a lot of larger high level things happening at the banks and financial industry overall. And so it was a different story for me. Again, very fortunate and appreciative that things kind of worked differently for me in that very troubling time for many people. And that's just kind of how my career started off. But it was very unique too, because that summer, even though I was only there for about three months working as my internship, when I came back full-time, I felt like the whole model changed. Wells Fargo at that point in the group I was working for was a part of the large banking world. And so we weren't the biggest player. You know, our goal was to just get into a the bank syndication group and just be one of the many banks that a client uses. And these are Fortune 500 companies. So they're all large scale names that we all know all about and just getting into their bank group and then cross-selling or trying to pitch ancillary product, treasury management, foreign exchange and so forth. And when I came back starting full-time, 
the model shifted. Now they're like, wait a minute, we have this phenomenal investment banking team. Now we have a great syndications team. Let's try to start becoming the main banks, the lead banks and run for those positions because now we have the capability. Mm-hmm. And so it really did change the footprint overnight. And when I used to go back to campus after I, after I was working full time to help out with some uh, campus recruiting, we used to use a slide that showed like a, a red dot or a blue dot where there was a legacy Wells Fargo branch and a legacy Wachovia branch throughout the whole country. And you can literally see Wells Fargo is very much prominent in the West Coast, obviously, and then Wachovia is very much on the East Coast. And then they had various cities throughout the, the Midwest, the Western Plain states that we were pretty big on. But it basically doubled our footprint overnight to a whole different coast that we were not even a part of. And you know, as many people know, opening branches is a big decision and takes a lot of time and, and resources to do that, especially when a market that's controlled by another bank or whatever the case might be. So we just overnight became a main player in the East Coast market, which we were not beforehand. And so it just it was it was a revolutionary challenge change for Wells, which used to be seen as a mid regional, regional style bank to being in the same category as now what they call the big four, right? They have Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, City, and B of A. And that just kind of happened overnight. And even then the process to acquire Wachovia was quite the effort, you know, with with City's bid and then Wells Fargo coming in a little later and very tumultuous times, let's yeah. just say. Yeah, yeah, in addition to uh, what was going on in the market. So fast forward 10 years, it's crazy how time flies. Can you share with us kind of your path, uh, what what your your career has been like over the last decade uh, since you came on full time? Absolutely, and and I think if you look back and the way the program was explained to me in college, I feel like I may have been that that individual that Wells liked exactly how I moved around. It's just exactly the model they kind of explained to us. But you know, when I started. I was in part of the program called the Financial Analyst Program. It's a member of Wholesale Banking, and it's a three-year non-rotational, so you get paired up with a certain group, and you're there for three years. And the biggest thing there was, you know, you learn the job, you learn the credit underwriting, and, and then the next steps, which have changed a little bit since I've joined, but was to go into a, it's called the Credit Management Training Program, or the, the acronym is CMTP. And CMTP is a six-month training program, and I think it may have been almost four and a half to five months by the time I got there. But it's in-depth credit analysis, performing case studies on different parts of the bank. And it's six months when I started off and more like four and a half, five when I was there. But you're with anywhere from 20 to 35 individuals across the country from various parts of the bank that come together in San Francisco. And the bank essentially puts you up for a few months and you're doing in-classroom-based training, almost like a business school-type feel, hearing from professionals versus professors. And people from all over Wells, various levels come in and they present to you. Uh, we were fortunate, our class, you know, at the time had the CEO come present to us. We had Tim Sloan before he was in his current role, you know, before he um, has since retired. And we had various individuals throughout, very well-positioned people in the bank coming to speak to us. And then you either go there as a free agent, which is what I did, where you go to this program and then you try and find a job afterwards in other parts or however you decide to uh, network or you're a round trip where you go back to the office you came from, but you come back as a relationship manager versus a analyst. So it was like a natural kind of promotion. And, you know, I was at the time 24 years old, 25, getting to live in San Francisco. I mean, I'm absolutely going to take that opportunity. Not the worst thing. Yeah, exactly. And so... 
Uh, it was a great program. I, I think a lot of times you get siloed into the bank group you're part of. So I was in corporate banking, so I knew about corporate banking very well. I knew all the people in corporate banking fairly well. Didn't know much about commercial banking besides the folks that I met previously or worked in the same building with. Didn't know about government institutional banking. Didn't know about global banking as much. Uh, so all the different banks come together and you learn about the actual bank. And this program is great because it gives you kind of that Wells Fargo stamp of approval. Right, like you get rubber stamped, like a resume comes in for a job. Oh, CMTP graduate. Okay, so we know they have a pretty good credit background, mm-hmm. and so it might just kind of give you the the little nudge to get your your list, your name in the next round of interviews, whatever the process might be. And so I did that. After that, I went back into corporate banking. However, I changed industries, so I went into our financial institutions group. So they banked all the non-bank financial companies. Uh, asset managers, uh, insurance companies, so you're all states of the world, we banked them. And so, again, a situation where same umbrella group that I worked with, knew the individuals because some of the folks sat in Chicago when I was an analyst and got to know them pretty well, but the main office was in Minneapolis. And so I went and met those individuals and joined that team and came back as an associate relationship manager and and, and kind of learned that whole role, right? I didn't know anything about that business, so now I wanted to learn about it and just expand my personal experience levels and understandings of the bank and so forth and learn is kind of the big thing here. You know, I was in that role for about two years, and then I wanted to make a change over to what is called the Wells Fargo Capital Finance, and that is Wells Fargo's asset-based lending division. And so if you look at a banking spectrum, I was on the far right, so, you know, right or left doesn't make a difference, but I was in like the large corporate world, super large companies, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000. All of our transactions are usually unsecured, where asset-based lending is the complete opposite end of the spectrum, where we're fully secured and we lend against their inventory or their accounts receivable. So a different part of the banking spectrum that one to head over to that side to kind of round out my, my skill set and learn more about the different levels of credit risk. So I joined in that, however, because I was more from a large corporate unsecured world from credit under knowledge, going over to there would be kind of a big jump. And so I found a kind of a cool little pseudo role. It was called the Capital Finance Cross-Sell Group that helped the asset-based lending division sell ancillary credit products, such as treasury management, invest, you know, investment banking products, uh, foreign exchange and interest rate hedging, so forth. You know, the many, many op, uh, groups that Wells Fargo has to provide these services. And so because our ABL group was previously acquired by Wells Fargo, I can't remember the date, but I think it was like the mid to late 90s, a division called Wells Fargo, or it was called Foothill Capital, mm-hmm. and then it became Wells Fargo Foothill, and they changed it all together to the name of Capital Finance. A lot of those clients were only being banked at the credit facility level. So they're the revolvers and so forth. And because Foothill was a non-bank financial institution back in when they were standalone, they didn't even tell the companies, they didn't even offer any sort of cross-sell or any sort of additional services because they just said, we are a credit shop. They just had one thing. Just one thing. Yeah. And when Wells Fargo acquired them, because they were one of the best players in the market, for a long time, they just said, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. We're not going to bother you. And so then you had a disconnect between that division and that business group and the rest of the bank. And yeah. The bank is very good at trying to offer ancillary products. And so that's where this group was started to help bridge that gap. And so that allowed me to really kind of spread my brand out there where I got to know individuals in that business, learn about how they do things, how they're separate, how they 
operate, how they look at credit. And then I was also being very involved in getting to know folks at the commercial banking side and corporate banking side because they're the ones who are actually helping sell those products as well. So it's kind of like an internal liaison. So it's kind of a unique role, but it just really helped me got to get, you know, learn about all the other additional parts of the bank. And I think I met so many more people that, you know, I was able to develop a rapport with now. Um, and so that really was a unique role, but ideally it made me learn more about the, uh, that ABL business. Mm-hmm. Uh, that group essentially was eventually dissolved because kind of I guess we did our job too well. <laughs> where yeah. mm-hmm. the model was put in place, and they said, you know, the the understanding and knowledge and learning is now at both sides. So you know, they slowly started closing that group down a little bit, which uh, which essentially led to me looking for new jobs again. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I ended up now. I'm actually an underwriter in what we call our supply chain finance business, and so we focus on helping provide financing for technology resale companies. So if you think about your Cisco's and your Dell's of the world, they provide the actual hardware service, you know, the actual servers or whatever the case might be. And they sell to various distributors and so forth. And the end goal being, you know, a small mom and pop shop or whatever the case is, let's say like a school district and so forth. However, there's a middle person in that transaction because Cisco or Dell would just ship the equipment to, let's say it's a, a school district. Well, that school district obviously is not going to want to set everything up. So they have these middle, you know, intermediary companies. They're called resellers, value-added resellers, or VARs. They come in, help set it all up. They get everything up and running. And so we bank those VARs, the value-added resellers. And essentially what we do is kind of we're providing a lot of floor planning. So we're providing a product where we help pay Dell faster. So Dell or Cisco love that because they're getting paid sooner. The VARs wouldn't be able to pay that fast. And then, so we pay Cisco and Dell on behalf of the value-added resellers in whatever time we have contracted with them. And then we essentially take that accounts receivable from the value-added resellers, and then Wells Fargo collects that in 30, 60, 90 days, whatever is agreed upon. So because they're getting paid 30, 60, 90 days from the school district. Yep, so yeah. it just becomes a situation where we're helping provide that gap to allow Cisco and Dell, they're like, well, this is great, we're going to be having more sales than we probably couldn't have had because they couldn't pay us fast enough, but we're getting paid even faster. Yeah. The value that reseller is liking it because it doesn't cost them anything. They're like, oh, I get X number of days on my payable. So I'll, I'm going to be all for that. Yeah. And so just kind of a unique, it's a unique product. Um, uh, you know, I think it took me a little while to get my hands wrapped around it, but it's still asset based. So it's still a part of uh, Wells Fargo Capital Finance. Again, something brand new to me. I didn't know much about it. And so now I'm kind of learning that business and, you know, trying to bring in all my previous experiences and everything to this role and, you know, doing the best that I'm able to bring to the team to be a value added resource. And so far I'm liking it. It's been a little over a year and the team has been great. And, you know, I think that's the Wells Fargo model. You know, they want to make sure, and that's what I really enjoyed understanding when I was younger is if you ask any senior manager at this bank, you know, what's been your career path, they're not going to say they've been that same role for 20, 30 years or that group. They've bounced around the whole company and all over the place. You never know where people bounce around from. And that's the purpose. And I think that's the the great part of working here is they promote that. There's always a situation anywhere, you know, any company can have this, but even some groups at Wells might be the same way, but people may fear trying to look for their jobs by just potential repercussion. And in my experience, I've not come across that. You know, I think it's a situation where 
they want to make sure you're happy where you're at. And if it's with that group, great. If it's not, but you know, I think what I've seen is when you're younger, I mean, I guess I'm not that young anymore, but as, uh, as you progress, they want to make sure you're bouncing around really seeing what's out there. And then, you know, let's say 10, 15 years into your career, you find that one group you really do like and make a career out of that. And you might stay there for 10, 15 more years. So just kind of making sure you're in that position and in that role that you really do like. I've come across people that are with the same group that they interned with, they stayed full-time with, and they're still there and they're doing very well. Yeah. And those individuals just like where they're at and they're really happy. So there really wasn't a need for them to move around. They were promoted properly and everything. We have other people that are, you know, bouncing around every two or three years. And so, and I think that's just the nature of, of what we have that's here at Wells. It's such a large organization. You know, I, I can't remember the exact count, but 200 and something thousand. 60 some odd thousand. Yeah. yeah. And so... There's roles everywhere, you know, across the country. And I think you're now starting to see a little bit of a trend of working from home becoming a little more of a popular type of uh, uh, benefit. And so I just had a coworker who is living in a different city now, and she's still working with us. But there's a Wells Fargo, there's a Wells Fargo office there. And so, you know, she's able to sit in that office now and just work, you know, obviously remotely, but she's still in an office setting. And you see a trend that's happening more and more with you know, large organizations that are very vast like ours trying to bring in talent and compete with, you know, some of these perks you hear about at startups or other smaller companies that offer these various things. And, you know, we can't offer everything, obviously, you know, we have large shareholders to, you know, account for. And, um, but it's also from their position, little things like jeans on Fridays, you know, stuff like that really gets people happy and excited. And so I think you're starting to see a trend in the workplace of being a little more accommodating and allowing, you know, the individual to kind of see what is important to them. And as long as he or she's providing very good work, you know, I think, you know, the, the company's realizing, wait a minute, you know, we can help them out to be even more happy if that, you know, it's possible just by offering little perks here and there. Yeah, absolutely. You can answer this one of two ways. One is if Parth can go back and talk to his 18 year old self, what would you say? But also I have a lot of conversations with incoming interns or people that are interested in gaining an internship with Wells Fargo and they're very, very finance focused. What what kind of advice would you impart on them? Okay. So that's actually a great question. I think, you know, as you're wording it, I guess I'll kind of combine the two together versus like 18 year old parts because usually 18 year olds are not getting internships. But I'd say for undergraduate parts, who's trying to, you know, start getting his headway into the professional world, you know, whether it be internships or job shadows and so forth. But, you know, if I can look back at myself, I think the biggest thing that people really underestimate is the power of getting and waking up early, you know? And I think in college, you don't realize that you think a busy day is four classes in a day. You know, you don't get the idea of having to get to work by eight, you know, usually even by five or six. And that also includes commute. I mean, that doesn't include commute time either. Right. And so when I first started, you know, in college, 8am classes were the worst thing ever. And you kind of dreaded it and you kind of like were miserable about it. Well, you know, that's when you have to be at work in your desk. And so I remember the biggest thing that I had to kind of get used to was the first week or two of my internship, like I was having some trouble just kind of staying alert, you know, in the mornings a little bit. And I don't really drink coffee, but people do use that as a way to, you know, wake up a little more. But I was commuting from the suburbs. And so I was taking the commuter train, which was just about an hour each way on the express train. So I would take a quick nap on the train. You know, I kind of became like a, a, you know, lifelong commuter train rider, you know, but, you know, I think simple as that is, you know, usually when you start an internship, you get about two weeks prior to starting, depending on scheduling and everything. But 
you know, the one thing that I did not do when I did my internship was start getting up early and just getting that habit, getting a meal, getting a routine set up. Cause then your body adjusts to it. And then, you know, the whole purpose to be alert and be at, you know, on top of your game. Cause an internship is meant to be a 12 week interview. You know, people see it as, oh, great, I'm making money this summer. Yeah, it's phenomenal, but your your goal is to try to get a full-time offer out of this or make a decision if that is the role you want to do or the company you want to work for. Uh, and that was the one thing that it was really entertaining for me is I got very lucky. My first manager kind of was used to this. You know, I think every year he's been, you know, he's been in that role for a while and every year he had new crops of interns and new crops of full-time analysts coming through. And, you know, he sat me down and he goes, listen, it's harder than you think. And I understand it. I'm not trying to call you out. He's like, I say this to every intern, every, the first day they walk in, you know, like get into a routine of waking up early, even on the weekend, you know, like try your best to kind of, and it just, you'll be surprised how quick it changes your, your morning routine. And then how much more alert you come when you come to the office. And that was one thing. That's what I always want to make sure I tell, you know, younger folks as well is, you know, seek that out in a, who the hiring manager is, because that can make a difference. I, I think if, if that individual is really spending time to make sure that they are focusing on your growth and your experience, you know, I can't remember how many times a day I was asked, are you enjoying this, right? Like you're having fun, like anything we can do differently. And they were taking as much time into me as I was into the, into the role, because obviously they want to fill these roles too. And, and they would prefer someone they know for 12 weeks versus someone they met at a career fair in two one-off interviews. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that really stood out from the culture side is many of the hiring managers that I've worked with to help hire for, or I was rec- looking to fill those roles throughout my 10 years. You want to look for that manager that he or she is really invested in your growth as well. And that's something that I've come across it. And I've seen it very prevalent in groups I've associated with, or I've worked for, or I've just kind of helped out or worked with um, in the various roles I've, I've taken on is that culture piece of that team approach. I think that's one thing at Wells that it's really across the board is that it's not I versus the team or, you know, team versus me or just me, every man for every woman for themselves. It's just truly, you know, we're a team together. We have a mission and we have a goal. And if we work together as a goal, as one, usually you can get to that goal faster or get exceed that goal. You know, I knew for sure I did not want to be in a world where I'm trying to one up my other analysts all the time. Or if, you know, if someone messes up, you point it out and call that individual out. Like that's not the type of environment I do well in. And that's something that I think Wells overall is the groups I've been a part of, or I've interacted with, you know, you see a lot of that is that, you know, there's a notion of, we just all want to do well together. I think it's, it's a good point. There's, there's no solo artists here. Exactly. Yeah. I've got to work well in groups. And, you know, I think the one other aspect too, is that, they kind of also want a, a lot of the emphasis too is also on the individual, right? You kind of have to self-advocate sometimes. And for me, it was interesting because I did exactly how I was told <laughs> and the route for me was set up that way. And I followed that route, but not everyone's doing that nowadays. And you know, that CMTP program is kind of morphed into a different type of program now, but some individuals, you know, for whatever reason, maybe really truly be happy where they're at. So they're looking for that promotion scale and timeline of organic promotions or not having to bounce around different groups just to get to the next level. And a lot of times, like when I was looking for my application to CMTP, after I left, they offered, you know, one of the individuals to potentially come back. And it necessarily wasn't offered to me, but it was also because I never showed the interest and I wanted to come back. And so part of it was kind of an eye-opening experience for me that, oh, I guess I should learn to communicate a little more and be upfront if there's something that I want. And 
then had the conversation about it. And that's something that's a little bit unique, right? And, you know, some people, I'd say overall, I'm fairly good at being outgoing and talking and making sure I follow up with managers on my progress and how I'm doing in the role. You know, I believe in just being open and upfront. So sometimes no news is good news. If anything came up, there was some issues. I'm sure I would hope that the manager reaches out to me directly and tells me, hey, we're noticing some trends here that, you know, you, you might start spending more time on these areas and which, you know, happens all the time. But I think the other part is it's on the actual individual as well. And I think that's the nature of the culture here is that they provide the background that that individual shouldn't be worried or shouldn't have to feel that they're telling the manager what they don't want to hear. A lot of times you have to let them know, hey, I kind of want to stay in this role or I want to get promoted, but I want to be in this group still. How can I do that? And so it's kind of a, it's like, it's a two-edged sword, right? But you also, it's like a two-way street, I guess is a better analogy to make sure that you're communicating with your various managers, folks on the team, and then they're also communicating with you. And that just takes time, you know, to develop a rapport and understand how a group operates. But I highly recommend that as college undergraduates and so forth, start thinking about it. I understand the stress. You just want to find a job. You know, it's the, the most stressful time for any finance major, business major is to make sure they you know, lock up a full-time position or an internship and you think everything else in the world just doesn't matter. And no, it's a very good point, but you also want to make sure you're finding the right role. You can, you know, I, I've had firsthand where some roles and one in particular where it just wasn't the right fit mm-hmm. for me at least. And it was a, a lesson that I learned in life that if you're not in the right role, can you spend so much time at work? It really can start affecting outside of work a little bit, you know, your mood and so forth. And you know, nobody wants that. No one wants to be in a role that job that they don't like. And obviously that group may not want to have someone that doesn't want to be there either. And so look for that right role. And I know you're so young, it's tough, but look for that role if you feel comfortable in, you know, that, you know, it might not be the most interesting work or it might not be exactly what you're hoping to do, but life's a stepping stone, right? You got to take some of these roles and learn and take the entry level roles and learn from them before you get to where you ultimately want to be. But in order to do that, you have to experience being in that position. That's one of the best parts of Wells Fargo is uh, I've seen people uh, do different jobs, different roles. So you could stay in in uh, B2B type lending or in what we call wholesale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen folks in group level finance. So finance departments that support parts of the business and then go into B2B or, 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 or back or vice versa. Uh, or even geography, geographically speaking, I've, I've seen, uh, I've got friends and peers that have said, yeah, I'm gonna work in the UK for a year or two. And if you have a, an organization the size of Wells Fargo, it, it creates or offers a lot of opportunity to allow you or support that journey that you wanna go on while you kind of figure out what you want your career progression to look like. I think the one big aspect of that, especially at Wells, given it's so large, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times you just don't know what's out there because it's yeah. just hard to figure that out. But, you know, I'm sure that this has been across the whole industry with any field you work in, but they always say kind of have a mentor and a sponsor. You know, I don't think I really understood what that meant when I was an undergrad. Even the first couple of years out of college, it didn't really truly uh, resonate well with me. Wh- what I'm sure some people know is as a mentor, obviously, you can have multiple mentors. You can have a mentor who helped you in your first role and then your second role or, you know, a lot of times it's it ends up being, you know, usually your direct manager, but it doesn't have to be. It could be somebody else in that group that, you know, you look up to. Um, he or she may take a vested interest in you. You never know. And then they say also have a sponsor. And sponsor is something that's interesting because, like, you almost don't know you have one until it just kind of happens, right? Where 
a mentor or someone that helps you train, learn for that role, helps guide you, um, and again, helps you learn. That's the biggest thing of any job. You want to keep learning. A sponsor is at an individual where, you know, you talk to him or her and say, you know, I really want to try to, like you mentioned, go live, work in the UK. He or she picks the phone call up and say, I have a colleague out there. I'm going to call him right now for you. And I'm going to vouch for you. That's they're, more of a sponsor. They're your right? advocate. Yeah. Ad- exactly. They're advocating for you if you can't self-advocate or if you just don't know who to self-advocate to. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And that's that individual that a lot of times have been around the bank for a while or just been in the industry for a long time, have a lot of contacts and are able to kind of put you right where you need to be. And if they can't, they'll call somebody who knows somebody else that, yeah. you know, and that's that big difference where, you know, having those individuals and you don't necessarily think about that when you're an undergraduate or, you know, you're starting off as an internship or full time, but I think it's becoming more prevalent. Now there's books reading, there's books out there about this. There's lots of research being done on this and, you know, obviously management, and strategy is a big deal in any organization, right? So they try to really push to make sure individuals reach out and so forth. But, you know, I think the culture as a whole, compared to other places I've heard about, or not just in banking, but in general, in the whole overall business field, I'd say Wells is, is very good at making sure that, you know, if you have an interest elsewhere, you, you know, raise your hand. Thank you for listening to the podcast. To learn more, please go to wellsfargojobs.com and please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast.